All right, so first of all, let's do catechism question review like we do at the beginning of, of, every, of every Sunday school lesson. So we're going to start with question 12, like we have been, which reads, what is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Question 13. How did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image and knowledge, righteousness and holiness with dominion over the creatures. Okay, so this is my last Sunday for doing Sunday school through these two questions. Adam's going to pick up with the next two questions next week. And so we've been spending the last... Ten, nine or ten weeks going over creation, what creation means, how God created everything, how he created everything ex nihilo from nothing, what it means that he created by the word of his power. We looked at six literal days, and we looked at how he created all things very good. And then we moved on to the doctrine of man and how God created man. First of all, how God created man, male and female, and what that meant, especially for our modern times that are filled with so much confusion about that. Then we moved on to probably the most important aspect of of the nature of man and the doctrine of man, at least in the way that he's originally created, is that he was created in the image of God, what that meant. Then we moved on last week and kind of further developed being created in the image of God and what that meant to be created in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and how the fall distorted that knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and how primarily it's an assault on knowledge, not just righteousness and holiness. And so today we're going to finish up. We're going to finish up with how God created man with dominion over the creatures, and this only really flows from the fact that God created man in His own image. And since God created man in His own image, man has dominion over the creatures. So once again, man. Just to rehash some of the things that we talked about when we talked about um, the Sunday school lesson of being made in the image of God, man being created in the image of God has quite a few different implications. And I don't even know if this is an exhaustive list, but these are the things that we covered, covered that week and then the following week. And so being made in the image of God implies that man has intellectual power, man has affections, man has emotions, man has relational ability, Man has the ability of language in a way that's not seen with any other creature. Man is the only rational creature. Man is the only creature that possesses morality and spirituality. It's the only one that has a soul. Man is the only one that has the immortality of the soul. And then like we observed last week, being created in the image of God means that man was created in a state of knowledge, a state of righteousness, and a state of holiness. And so this last thing, once again today, that we're going to consider as part of the catechisms, because man is created in the image of God. He is the only part of creation that is created in the image of God. And since he's the only part of creation that is created in the image of God, man is given dominion over the rest of creation. So first of all, just a brief uh, working definition of what the word dominion means. Dominion means lordship or sovereignty or some sort of supreme authority over So obviously, ultimate dominion goes to God, but dominion over creation and God's created order goes to man. This comes from the Latin word dominus, which you get the word dominion, domain, dominate, domination. 
even the word Anno Domini, right? It's the year of our Lord. So it's the Lordship. Lordship over creation. God has endowed this to man because man was created in his image. But once again, our lordship or our sovereignty or our supreme authority as the highest of the created order is not due to us being the natural owners of it or the ones that created it, right? So God, he completed his creation by delegating authority for the rest of creation to man, for man to rule. So traditionally, this is what's called, we're, we're called viceroys or vice regents. It's kind of like a, an under king Right, an under king, God being the ultimate king, and man being the under kings under God. And once again, this is a granted authority that we have. It's not something that we have by anything that is of our own virtues. This is granted by God endowing his image on us. Then he endowed us with dominion over the rest of creation that he had already created. It's divinely endowed by God. So then like we, we normally do for these, these questions, I like to go look straight to the scriptural support for this. First of all, this is in the creation account itself in Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1, if someone would like to read verses 26 through 31, then we're also going to go to Genesis 2 right after that. So Genesis 1, 26 through 31. God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. There we go. So that's kind of the conclusion of the creation narrative in Genesis 1. And I'd just like to read the whole context together. But the the verses that really drive home the point that we're driving home this morning are verses 26, where it says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heaven, livestock over the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps over the earth. So God gives man dominion immediately after he creates him in his own image. So this is something endowed by God right there. And then back down in verse 28, it says, God blessed them, God said to them. We talked about that a little bit last week. And then God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So that's another part of the the dominion is to subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heaven, and every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's you got dominion repeated twice there, and you've got the command to subdue the earth also right there in the creation narrative. So God has granted man this this privilege and this responsibility to rule and subdue the earth. Also, over in Genesis 2, uh, there are a lot of verses here we're going to skip around over, so I'll, I'll just take this one. 
In Genesis 2, verse 5, whenever it's uh, still continuing on in the creation narrative, it says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Okay, so that's not an explicit dominion mandate right there, but it's, it's giving you, it's building up this, this, this argument for why, why God needed man there anyway. It's because there was, creation had been settled, but there was no one to work the ground. So man has to come in and man has to come in and work the ground. So one thing that you'll, you'll notice here that we'll talk about it again in just a second is that work here is pre-fall, right? Work is something that man was given to do before the fall happens. So there's nothing inherently bad about work. Work can be a good thing. We'll talk about that more in just a second. So it's verse 5. Then down in verse 8, chapter 2, it says... And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. Okay, so that's building up, building up again to this. And then skip down to verse 15. 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So this is part, again, of that subduing the earth that was granted in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, as God has put man there to subdue the earth. And how is he going to subdue the earth? He's going to work it. He's going to keep it. This is part of the dominion that's been granted. And then verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20, it says, Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Okay, So, first of all, God has placed man here, told him to subdue the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill it, to have dominion over it. And the way that he does that, first of all, is to work it, is to work the land, and to keep the land. And then the second, second real example that we have of man exercising his dominion is whenever the animals come to him and he knows what to call them. So he's endowed with the image of God, and Adam knows what to call all the living creatures. And so this is another way that he's exercising his dominion over the land. He's the one that gets to name the creatures. He knows what they need to be called, and he names the creatures because he is that viceroy or that vice regent, or he has been endowed by God the right to name the creatures. So that is how man exercises, first of all, his dominion, or his rulership, or his sovereignty over the creation. He works it, he keeps it, and then he goes on to name the creatures. Okay, so there's two parts of scriptural support within the creation narrative itself. And then if someone wants to go to Psalm 8, this is one of those songs that extols creation and the works that God has done in creation. So if someone wants to read Psalm 8, verses 5 through 8. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. There you go. So David here is, is kind of pondering the, the nature of man and how God has made man. 
and how God has endowed man with the things that we've already been talked about. And David's explicit here, made just a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor and given him dominion over everything that God has made. And then he goes on to name some of those things. So the scriptural support in the creation narrative itself there's scriptural support in the Psalms right there. So obviously, uh, man, God has given man dominion over the creation. And so one last bit on this is that this dominion, this dominion was not lost in the fall. There's some of those aspects of God making man in his image that were lost in the fall. We talked about that a couple weeks ago or at least all of those aspects are changed dramatically. They're distorted in some way. And so we're going to go to the the narrative of the fall in Genesis 3 to to see how this relationship with, with man and the land and man and the rest of creation has really changed very drastically since the fall happens. So in Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19, remember this is after the fruit has been eaten, This is after it's been given to Adam. God comes and he confronts the people. And first of all, they they blame each other and they blame Satan. And then God pronounces curses on them. First, he pronounces a curse on Satan. Then he pronounces a curse upon Eve. And then in verse 17, he pronounces a curse upon Adam. And it says to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for of it you are taken, for, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So you've got the, the curse of the fall here. First of all, God curses Satan, um, telling them that he will eventually be crushed. Then he curses uh, Eve, and the main, the main crux of the curse against Eve was the marring of the relationship between husband and wife and between man against, against other man. And so those are relational, human-to-human relations that are cursed, that are given the curse and the curse to Eve. And then the curse to Adam is a curse between man and the rest of creation. So there is no more will the work be be easy no more will it be completely fulfilling like it was before this subduing and this dominion that man is going to exercise is now going to be a wrestling with nature it's now going to be tough it's now it's not going to be easy to eat anymore adam is going to have to work a lot for his food by the sweat of his face he's going to have to eat bread and the earth is going to come forth and it's going to put forth thorns and thorns and thistles it's not going to be this beautiful Garden of Eden everywhere anymore. It's going to be, it's going to be tough to subdue. And so you get this, this sense now that the work that man is going to do is nothing like it was before the fall. So work then is still a good thing because God has given work to man as part of being the image bearers of God to subdue and to keep the earth. But it's going to be hard now. And so that is why we have to work and our work is not necessarily as fulfilling as it would have been without the fall. But we're working towards something, and we'll get to that in just a minute. And then ultimately the curse comes with death, too. That's a bit outside of the scope of what we're talking about today. But God gives the curse of death against Adam because of the sin. And so death comes to the rest of mankind also. <clears throat> and so then, our responsibilities. So there's the scriptural support and what happens 
after the fall to mar this relationship between work and man and creation and man and his dominion that he is to exercise. So our responsibilities then, we have a few responsibilities that I was able to to pick out. Um, Our responsibilities as humans here. These responsibilities are one... These are a lot. These are interrelated, so they're not ex- exclusive from each other. But these are the ones that I was able to identify a little bit. Um, one is that the man, man now and all of mankind holds a position of command over the created order. Okay, so this this should be obvious from any any uh, honest reading of the text is that man, since he has been given dominion, since he has been told by God to work and subdue the rest of creation, is that man now holds a position of command over the created order. And that position of man really includes anything you can think about, think of in the physical world. This includes animals, this includes plants, this includes minerals, this includes any chemicals that you can create or discover. This includes any natural resources out there and really anything that's in the physical world. Man has a position of command over these things and can use these things in a way that benefits him and ultimately brings glory back to God. Okay? So man has a command over the created order. That was the first thing. Second thing is that man is to have a mastery over the created order. And so you could see here that we will never have a full mastery over the created order because of that curse that's been pronounced after the fall, right? We're never going to have a full mastery over it. We will never have a full understanding and a full knowing because remember, like we talked about last week, The fall is primarily an assault on man's knowledge. Man knew everything he needed to know before the fall. Afterwards, man has to work to recover the knowledge that he should know and not know the things that he shouldn't know, right? Things that are false, things that are not beautiful, things that are not useful for creation or useful for man or glorifying to God. Those are the things man should not know. But the things that he should know, he works to know again. Right? The fall relationship really assaults this knowledge, and man has to work again to gain the knowledge, to have mastery over the created order that he is supposed to have. And this brings in the realm of science. Right? Science is it's just a word that means knowledge. And so um, that's kind of the whole point of doing science, is to have mastery over the created order, because without us being made in the image of God and being given this endowment to subdue and to work the land and to have dominion over the land, the pursuit of science makes no sense whatsoever then because what are we working towards? Well, science for the sake of it doesn't make any sense, right? It's to benefit us. It's to bring bring glory back to God and to have knowledge and understanding about his creation. So that's kind of the whole point of it. So without a Christian understanding of that, you're just kind of spinning your wheels if you're trying to be a scientist in that way. So that was the second thing have a mastery over the created order. Third thing is that man must rule well. So he has command over the created order, but he must rule well. So in this way, he has an accountability towards God. As God's primary representatives of the created order, as his viceroys or his vice regents, we are the ones that have to answer to God for what we have done with his creation. Okay, so you see here in especially after the fall, what happens? It brings up thorns and thistles, and this is representative of some sort of violence and chaos that is now in the land. There's no longer a perfect harmony in the created order, either between creation or man's relationship with creation. 
So man has now this accountability to rule well and to do it in a way that does not bring about violence and chaos. Man is to bring about order. He's to subdue the land and to bring order to it. And he's to, to have cultivation with the land. He's to cultivate it in a way, and that's just, that's just not talking about it in an agricultural way. That's just a pure cultivation of the land to where he rules over it and he works it in a way that he's accountable both to the created order and back to God himself as representatives of God. So there's a third thing, man must rule well. <clears throat> Fourth thing, this is related to the third, is man is to use the created order to its fullest potential, but man is to do this in a just manner. And this is highlighted later on in um, the Old Testament especially because God gives the covenant promises and the covenant curses to Israel. And one of the curses is that if you abuse my land, first of all, before that, this land is fruitful. This land is, is flowing with milk and honey. And if I'm your God and you are my people, I'm going to bless you. And you're still going to have to work it and it's still going to be toiling work, but you're going to be able to eat. You're going to be able to eat well. But if you reject me, I'm going to kick you out of the land. And one of the ways that you show that you have rejected me is that you abuse the land, right? We had all these, we had some specific agrarian rules that God puts in his, his, in his law whenever he makes a covenant, the covenant with Israel of certain periods where the land is to lie fallow, right? And there are certain gleaning rules that they have to follow. And if they abuse those things and they don't follow them, God's going to kick them out of the land. And abuse of the land later on in the prophets, major prophets, minor prophets, pretty much all of them in some spot you can read of how Israel how has abused the land. And in addition to all their other sinfulness, their idolatry and their pursuit of other gods um, and not, not loving the Lord, not being his people. One of the things that gets highlighted is that they've abused the land and God's going to kick them out of it. So once again, this point is that man in his dominion is to use the created order to its fullest potential, but he's to do it in a just manner because God is a just God. And so that's that. Fifth, the main goal is to bring everything into the service of God and the good of mankind. Really, the ultimate goal here is some sort of human flourishing, right? We're working towards man's life getting better, man and mankind flourishing. They're doing this, we're doing this in a just manner, but that's the ultimate goal of the whole thing, right? It's the ultimate goal of the ways that we pursue, uh, subdue the land and exercise dominion over it. And um, I could go off on a tangent here on some of the, the energy sources uh, because human flourishing is kind of the, the ultimate goal in this and you need... For human flourishing right now, you need cheap energy, and so there's a lot that goes into that, and especially for the developing world. So um, human, human flourishing in that context, we need to, one, be responsible with the land, to be responsible with creation, but also subdue the land in a way that's going to allow human flourishing to the greatest extent, ultimately because we love each other, and ultimately to bring glory back to God. Okay? And then lastly, which we've already touched on a little bit, and just to rehash the first five points for our responsibilities as humans, is that we hold a position of command over the created order. We are to have a mastery over a created order. We must rule well. 
We are to use it to its fullest potential, but in a just manner, with the main goal of to bring everything into the service of God and for the good of mankind. And then lastly, work. We already talked about this. Work is created before the fall. You see that there, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Fall comes in Genesis 3. It's created before the fall, but work is difficult afterwards. So all of man is to work. And one of the things that we make an emphasis on as as Protestants is that there is no hierarchy of vocational pursuits at all, exclusive of sinful ones, right? Prostitution, obviously, not a legitimate vocational pursuit in the Christian world. But everything else, the Roman Catholics believe you got priests and you got everybody else, right? Priests are a higher vocation than everyone else. We don't believe that. Everyone's vocation is legitimate in the eyes of God, and you are to use your abilities to work your best, to subdue the created order, and to bring glory to God and to bring flourishing to your fellow man. And that's what we believe, whether that's being some high appointed office, whether that's being a mom in the home. Everything that you do is beautiful, and you are to work to this. Um, there's a, a, a quote that's often misattributed to Luther, and it just sprang into my mind, so I'm going to try to get it right. Uh, the shoemaker uh, does not glorify God by all, only singing his praises all the day long. The shoemaker glorify God by making, glorifies God by making the best shoes that he possibly can. Right? And that's the way the shoemaker subdues the earth and works it to benefit God and to benefit man and to bring glory to God is by making the best shoes that he possibly can. And so that's what we work towards. That's why we work. And to tie it all together, we are working towards something, right? It's not just for right here and right now. We're working towards something. And we get this taste of the redeemed creation after the fall in a lot of places in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, But particularly inspiring is Isaiah 65. So in Isaiah 65, in 17 through 25, it says this. This is where Isaiah gets his vision of the new heavens and the new earth. And you're going to see a lot of language here that mimics what John says in Revelation. So it's even it's present in the Old Testament. They're they're seeing this eschatology of what man is working towards, towards the end. This is what it says in Isaiah. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. That's inspiring right there. My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children in calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. 
and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So this is the vision. This is related to the same thing that John states in, in Revelation 20, Revelation 21, Revelation 22. You get those same kind of vibes over there. Is that God is creating all things new. And in this new creation, the work that man does is not going to be any sort of labor in vain. So it's going to be good work. Man is going to get to really enjoy his work then. And then once over in, in, in the New Testament in 2 Peter 3, 2 Peter 3 and 11 through 13, if I can get there, Peter tells us what's going to happen when Jesus returns. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So that's what brings it all together. We will again have knowledge and righteousness is going to dwell there. And part of this righteousness is that God is going to be there. He's going to be with his people because God is there. We're going to be able to work. We're going to be able to enjoy that work. It's going to be fulfilling. We're going to be able to subdue things in exactly the way we were meant to way back in the beginning. So part of this righteousness here, it's going to be the ability to enjoy the work and to work and subdue and to cultivate and to exercise dominion alongside God himself. Because his light of his countenance is going to give us this never-ending day and it's going to give the ability for mankind to live the way that he was intended to, intended to live. The way that we love God purely, without stain, the way that we love each other, and the way that we love creation. So then, as we go forth from here, we're going to go forth as rulers that God has allowed us to be. And we're going to subdue creation for his own glory until that day when Jesus comes back and it's going to be even better. Um, so that's the way I was going to end it. I was, once again, going to end with a psalm like we have this whole, this whole uh, section of the catechism. So I'm going to end with Psalm 8. We've already read a portion of it, but I'm going to read the whole thing now. And then we'll have a, a few minutes left over for questions. Um, so before then, here's Psalm 8, if I can get there. There we go. Psalm 8. To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, the Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the, mouth, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.